We're honored today to have Bishop E.W. Jackson here with us, all the way from our nation's capital and beyond. We're so blessed to have him. Tell your lovely wife, Theodora, thank you for allowing you to be with us today. Come right on, Bishop Jackson, show him some love. Thank you so much, Pastor Allen. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you so much, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, I think, yeah, I'm on. All right. Uh, first of all, I'm honored to have been invited. So Pastor Allen, thank you so much. And, and your lovely wife and this great congregation, thank you all for coming. And thank you for being here to greet this preacher who's making some trouble in various places. But I believe it's trouble in the name of Jesus. Yeah. Exactly the trouble he would have me make. So it's an honor to be invited because, of course, I don't get invited everywhere. Um, <laughs> In fact, quite the contrary. I get run out of some places. Uh, so, so it really is an honor. And uh, look, I, I am glad to be here. Uh, my, my relationship with Granberry, Pastor uh, Jerry Mastin, and then uh, Bill Miller um, kind of adopted me and, and, uh, and, and Judge Massingill. And, and I got the news of, uh, just, I guess, the past week that he had passed away. I was shocked, just shocked. But... One thing is for sure, we are not as those without hope, right? We know we're going to see him again, and our hearts will rejoice, and our joy no one takes from him. For blessed are the dead who die in the Lord, for they shall rest from their labors, and their works do follow them. So, so while we, we experience the pain of separation, I just had one of my members uh, just passed away last week from COVID, and I'm going to be funeralizing him next week, as a matter of fact. Uh, and these, these situations are always painful, but, but we know that there is going to be a great gathering one day, a great reunion one day. So it's not that we'll never see them again, it's that there'll be a little while and then we will get together again. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. Well, praise God. Look, I, I, I'm the president of STAND, Staying True to America's National Destiny was founded in, on July 4th of 2009, uh, after Barack Obama had gotten elected, because I really felt that the country was in trouble and that there was going to be a major assault on our values and on who we are as a nation. And I really believe the troubles we're having now are, in a sense, the result of the seeds he sowed during his presidency. And um, I, I, I wish I'd been wrong. I wish I'd been wrong, but I was right. And so STAND has been operating now for the last 12 years, 13 years, uh, as an organization bringing people together across racial and cultural lines to uphold our Judeo-Christian values and principles, our constitutional uh, governance, uh, individual liberty, personal responsibility, the values that made America the greatest nation on earth. And uh, so there's a table in the back with books and materials on it. And you all pray for me because I've just finished the book, gotten it back from my editor, and now we're looking for a publisher. And I'm excited about this book. It's the third book I've written. It's entitled Sweet Land of Liberty, Reflections of a Patriot Descended from Slaves. And I, I, am, I am excited about this book because while there's so much slander against our country, I love this country very, very deeply. And I, I am not going to stand by while people rip it apart and tear it apart uh, and try to use our history against us. 
Now, we are the greatest nation in the history of mankind. We don't owe the world any apology. The world owes us a debt of thanks. We have done more to advance the cause of liberty and freedom and human dignity than any nation that's ever existed. And I make no apologies for saying that. So you all pray for me. Uh, maybe I'll be able to come back after the book is published and, and share some of it with you and, uh, and make it available to you all. Um, I'm on American Family Radio. Any people who heard me hear me on American? Okay, we got we got a couple who hear me on American Family Radio. So I'm on American Family Radio Monday through Friday at uh, 12 Central Time. Believe it or not, I am in the slot that the great Don Wildman once had. Don Wildman founded the American Family Association and American Family Radio. So I am trying to fill some big shoes in that slot. But you all pray for me and, and tune in. You can also get the app, AFR.net, download the app, and you can listen every day. Because look, finding good news is becoming increasingly difficult today. Finding truthful news, trying to, finding the facts. I mean, I, I'm convinced, folks, part of our problem with this whole COVID thing is nobody, it's hard to find the truth. Because the information we're given is often with an agenda to try to control, to manipulate, to, to persuade people to do what may or may not be in their best interests. And so I've been telling everybody, look, I, I'm not pro-vaccine. I'm not against the vaccine. I am against violating my liberty. I am against trying to tell me to do something that I don't want to do. And so each person has to make their own choice. So we, we get into all those issues and, and much, much more. All right, well, listen, I know I've got a limited amount of time. And, uh, and I've got to let you all go eat. So, Pastor, now, so preach no longer than three hours. I think that's the instruction, right? <laughs> Amen. Um, so let, let me get to the assignment. I do bring you greetings from my wife. Uh, she is, we started a church school um, called the Maximum Potential Christian Academy. My wife is uh, the headmaster of the school, and she stays home a lot of times because she's got so much schoolwork that she wants to do. But she's been here before and looking forward to coming back because we had a wonderful time. I don't know whether you all heard the, the about the chocolate cake that uh, was sent to me from the judge and Bill and, and, and some others. And my wife wanted to get another chocolate cake sent. She called up and they told her what it cost to ship the cake. She said, those people ship that cake to you? Woo! <laughs> the shipping costs more than the cake. Uh, but but uh, uh, it is so wonderful to have friends like these who uh, bond, we bonded together, and I really believe it'll be a lifetime friendship. And and frankly, I, I think I have a relationship with Granberry that I think will be lifetime. In fact, I've, I found out from Judge Massingill that while I want to have a ranch the size of property that I'm looking for, he says constitutes a ranchette, <laughs> not a ranch, but. But nevertheless, I said, if I, have, if I get a ranch, it will be here. <laughs> or a ranchette. <laughs> well, look, I, I want to call your attention to Romans chapter 11, verse 29. And it says this, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Now, based on that text, I want to pose a question to you and discuss that with you for the next few minutes. What will you do with the gift? What will you do with the gift? Now, every one of us knows what it means to receive a gift. 
And we also know that even though we might not say it in polite company, the gift is in some sense valued by who gives it. I mean, the more love, respect, honor you have for the person who gives the gift, the more you honor the gift itself. I mean, when somebody who you don't really know gives you something, you might appreciate that, but it doesn't have the same value as something that's been given by someone you hold dear. In my house right now is a desk that's 57 years old. And it's just a little kid's desk that was given to me by my father when I was 12 years old. It's not valuable. Doesn't mean anything to most people. But it means the world to me. Because of who gave it. Some of you have heard my story, but I was in foster care from the age of 14 months up until the age of 10. I was a gang member. Um, I was already in the streets. I didn't attend school most of the time. And my gang was already committing petty crimes and looking up to, to more mature criminals. They were our heroes, the people who had been to the penitentiary and come out tough and buff and ready to do something else against the law. And that's who we were looking up to. That, those were our heroes. And uh, I had come to resent my foster parents uh, because they weren't really my parents. I knew who my parents were. And my thought as a kid was, well, what's wrong with me that my mother and my father aren't here to take care of me? And my father would visit with me and talk to me. And apparently, every time he did, I'd beg him to let me come live with him. Well, at the age of 10, I was standing on a street corner. My father pulled up. And I recognized him, of course, recognized his car. And he rolled down the window and pointed his finger at me and summoned me to come. And I walked over to the car and I said, hey, Dad. And he said, Son, you always say you want to come live with me. You, do you want to come live with me? I said, yeah, Dad, I do. He said, get in the car. We got in. He drove me to my foster home, and he walked in and told my foster parents, I am taking my son to live with me. Well, you can imagine the hysteria for people who had raised me since I was 14 months old. They were heartbroken. But he said to them, I know this is not easy. He said, but I'm convinced that if I don't take my son now, we're going to lose him. He's going to be lost to the streets. He could see which way things were going. Well, that very day, not two weeks later, not two days later, not two hours later, that very day, because I remember my foster mother saying, well, let me get his stuff together before you make this move. Let the, let's, let's take some time to plant the, my father said, whatever we need, we'll send for, or I'll come back and get, but he's going with me now. And my life literally changed overnight. I went from being an F student in sixth grade, a fifth grade, where my mother, my foster mother and my teacher got together talking about whether to keep me back because I'd learned so little in fifth grade, to literally being an A student in sixth grade. Uh, because my father took me to his home, sat me down and said to me, now son, you're with me now. You said you wanted this and you're with me now. He said, every day with me can be like a day of heaven on earth or every day I will tear your behind all to pieces. <laughs> I found out he meant what he said. But it changed my life. And people say, how does a kid in the, who grew up in the 60s, in the 70s, when, when the civil rights movement was just beginning to open up opportunities, how does a kid like that end up in Harvard Law School? I ended up in Harvard Law School because I had a father who said to me, son, you live in the greatest nation on earth. And there's nothing you can't do if you put your mind to it. 
He said, and I expect you to go out there and do better than I've done. My father had a sixth grade education. He was a welder in Sunship Building and Dry Dock Company. He said, I expect you to go out there and do better than I've done. And I don't want any excuses about who won't let you. He said, if you come up to, to obstacles, I want you to go over them, under them, around them, or through them, but don't let anybody stop you from accomplishing what you want to accomplish in life. And he said to me, and while there will be people who will be opposed to you, he said, you will find that when people find out that you want to do something decent with your life, help will come from unexpected places. That's the man who gave me that desk. And that's why I treasure that desk. Now, my brothers and sisters, we need a theology of place in the United States of America because you are not here by accident. America is not an accident. America is a gift. It is a gift. And it is the gift of Almighty God to us. And if we honor the God we love and serve, then we ought to honor the gift. God gave us this country not by accident. You know, I'm amazed the way sometimes people think about life and think about where they are as if God is sitting on the throne and looks up one day and this gargantuan behemoth of a nation has arisen with only 4% of the people in the earth, but more wealth, more power, greater military, greater educational system, greater everything than any place else on earth as if God looked up and said, wow, I didn't expect that. Look. No, he put it in the hearts of our founding fathers. If you know the history, step by step, he, he maneuvered the circumstance where they came to understand that their freedom could not be experienced under the leadership of a, of a monarchy, a king. And they decided that they were going to strike out in independence. And you and I, our ancestors, wherever they may have come from, did not come here by the circumstances of their birth or by accident. Now, if you're of, of Irish background, then some of your ancestors may have come during the Great Potato Famine, but that's not ultimately what got them here. If you're of Italian background, some of your ancestors may have come because of the great wars and pogroms that were happening in Italy at the time. Or if you're of German extraction, same kind of problem. You know, people don't realize how many Germans have come to America uh, that's why we have frankfurters. We call them hamburgers, but, it, but, it, but it's German food. And hot dogs, I mean hot dogs, I should say. We call them frankfurters. That's German food and hamburgers. That, that's, that's, you know, the whole, the whole idea of, of festivals and, and um, you know, uh, these big community events that we have. The Germans brought that as part of their tradition to this country. We're an amalgam of people. And yes, let me say what the inevitable is that must be said. If you are an American of African background, if your ancestors came from Africa, you are not here because of slavery. See, I believe that God used the circumstances of these historical events to do what he wanted to do, to create a nation that unlike any other nation on earth would have people from every part of the world. We are the only nation like that. And people have sometimes said to me, so wait a minute, well, why did God have to do it that way? If God waited for people to do what's right to get done things, he would never get anything done. <laughs> he 
He's got to use the sinful circumstances of our times in order to move people where he needs them to go. Not everything is God's will, but God has his plan has to include all that people will do in order to get done the things that God wants to get done. I mean, think about this. The book of Revelation says that he has made from that, that that is that the kingdom of God uh, is redeemed out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. The kingdom of God, the only country in the world that can say we have people of every tribe and tongue and nation is the United States of America. In other words, we look more like the kingdom of God than any nation that's ever existed. What you're doing right now, who, do you, who else do you think in this, this shoebox effort, what other nation do you think will do as much as Americans will do? There is none. We give more to charity in our own country. We give more to charity internationally. In fact, I'm not just talking about the money our government spends. I'm talking about individual Americans giving of their hard-earned dollars to help people. We have blessed the world in far more ways than the United Nations will ever give us credit. We are not an accident. The Bible says he is made from one blood in Acts 17, 26, I have to do a podcast every morning at 8.30 uh, a.m. Eastern time, and I have in my studio uh, a, a, a flyer that says Acts 17, 26, because it is one of my favorite scriptures. It, it helps define and understand who we are. It says he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and determine their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. If you believe that, then you know you're not an American by accident. And not only are you not an American by accident, you're not here in this particular time by accident. You are here because God put something in you that is uniquely suited to deal with the challenge that we face today. And the real question is, Lord, what would you have me do? You know, I say we, we, we as Americans, because of the left's influence, spend so much time obsessing over what someone else has done to us when what God wants us to do is obsess over what he wants to do with us. Amen. Lord, what would you have me do? Who, why, why am I here? And why am I here at this time? And what is my job? What is it that you want me to do? Yes, you know, I think that the two worst things that can happen to any human being, one is to die without Christ and go to hell. Obviously, that's the penultimate worst. But you know, the second thing to me, is to be a Christian and stand before God and not have done what he put you here to do. To have wasted that talent, to have thrown away that opportunity. God wants us to understand the circumstances we are in. We need, I say, a theology of place so that we understand we're not accidents in this place at this time, but that we're here with a mission, with a calling on our lives. You know, the Bible, it, 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 to me, confirms again and again that uh, the American experience and what America means to us is God-ordained. You know, George Washington, who's my favorite American hero, said in his first inaugural address, no people can be bound to acknowledge and adore the invisible hand which conducts the affairs of men more than the people of the United States says every step by which they have advanced to the character of an independent nation seems to have been distinguished by some token of providential agency. No 
And he said that again, and so did the other founding fathers again and again. They saw the hand of God. I know they weren't perfect people, and I know there are folks who want to construct a life in which we denigrate them and, and dishonor them because they weren't perfect. And I say, well, what about you? The people pointing the finger, are you perfect? Have you done everything right? Did you get it all okay? You know, when some, some kid commits some horrific crime, uh, we often ask, what, what, how was he brought up? Was his father there? I mean, we know that they have to, people have to be punished for these things, but we take into context, we take into consideration the context of that person's life. I mean, I know that there are kids raised very differently than my children, and they're going to have very different outcomes because of the way that they were raised. And yet we point back at the founding fathers as if they weren't raised in a context and they didn't have a circumstance. In fact, George Washington's father died when he was 11 years old, 10 years old, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and he, was, he inherited from his father 11 slaves. And I often say to people, so what are we supposed to do at 10? And say, wait a minute, let me reconsider because after all, I've been giving a lot of thought to this issue and I've decided that this is wrong and I will not receive this inheritance. Well, I mean, come on, he's a kid. Raised in that circumstance, is told this is good, this is right, this is appropriate. What we should be doing is giving them credit for the fact that almost all of them transcended it. George Washington came to condemn slavery, released all of his slaves at, at his death. Not every founding father did that, but almost all of them came to understand that it was an institution incompatible with the word of God and incompatible with our declaration of independence and the values we said we stand for. We ought to give them credit because they were able to rise above everything that they were taught from the time they were children. We ought to be admiring them, not denigrating them. This country was ordained by almighty God. You say, well, well Bishop, how, how is it that we've been blessed so much? How is it I mean, given the mistakes that we make, because the left wants to believe, wants us to believe that, you know, we, this country was built on slavery and it was, we stole the land from the Native Americans. And of course, it always makes me chuckle a little bit because the fact of the matter is a careful student of history will realize slavery didn't help build the country. It held us back. That's the reality of it. It held us back. I think it held back the development of the South. And of course, the Civil War set us back economically and politically in so many ways. It didn't help build the country. It didn't create and invent and innovate all the great things that America has contributed to the world. I tell you what built America, liberty built America. And faith in God built America. The fact that George Washington Carver, after he was released from slavery, began to talk to God and as, with a scientific mind and came up with 300 different uses of the peanut because of freedom. See, that's, that's what's built America. We didn't steal any land from the Native Americans. They were fighting themselves over territory and fighting over who would possess what territory. See, there were no probate courts. There were no deeds. But still, we, we honored the fact that they occupied land and tried to accommodate them as best we could. I'm not saying wrong things weren't done. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is that if somebody wrote your biography and only picked up everything they could find that you ever did or said wrong, how would you like that? 
Not a single one of us could withstand it. You know that in a fair consideration of who you are, you want the good to be considered too. You want your intentions and your motives and your desires to be considered. Look, I've made mistakes in life and sometimes had to realize part of my mistake was I, I hadn't shared some of the stuff that I was raised with, that I had learned, and it had to be rooted out of me by Almighty God. But, it, but if you're going to judge me on the basis of that, no one is able to meet that standard. Our founding fathers were used by Almighty God to create the greatest nation in the history of mankind. And I think of some of these little, little insignificant idiots who run around criticizing them. And I want to ask them, what did you build? What did you create? What did you make? And does anybody really think we would be better off had our ancestors never come here? I mean, in Europe right now, you know, Europe is being swept with secular atheism. Uh, the European Union has a court of justice, and, and they, not too long ago, handed down a seminal case in which four people who were giving out literature that was simply saying that homosexuality is morally destructive of society, and they were all arrested, convicted, fined, and put in prison. That's the direction that Europe is going in. And there are people who want America to go that way as well. Would I have been better off if my ancestors, though they came under horrific circumstances, would I have been better off if they had never come to the United States of America? And by the way, I am much better off that they came here rather than the West Indies, rather than South America, and rather than Europe. Because believe it or not, only about five, four or five percent of the entire diaspora coming from Africa into slavery came to the United States of America. Only four or five percent. And because the plantations in America tended to be family plantations, it created a different kind of culture. And I'm not uh, sanctioning or, or commending slavery in any way. But I mean, we've got to look at the facts. In the West Indies, where there were more factory-like circumstances, it didn't matter whether you died working or not. And many lives were lost. Just, just you worked them to death and you got new ones when they died. But in America, because there were family plantations and people began to get to, to know one another and families developed within the plantations, there was a tendency more not to want to disrupt families, and people say, well, the family was split. Sometimes it was, but it wasn't that frequently because the owners knew that when you split up a family, you create problems. People want to run to find their loved ones. So if you want to compare slavery around the world and it's existed around the world, you can look at America and say, America probably, if you had to be in that circumstance, is probably the best place where it could happen. Now, I'm here again. I'm not commending it. I'm just telling you these are the facts. And, and think about this. 400 to 450,000 slaves came to America by 1830. There were 4 million. In other countries and other places, slaves were not encouraged to have children. Here, they were. And I think unbeknownst to those who were engaged in the slave trade, they didn't know God was working in the midst to bring a whole group of people here that they probably would never have brought here voluntarily. 
And the same could be said of every ethnic group. Most groups have come to this country under very difficult circumstances. And I know people like to say, well, no, you can't compare that to slavery. But look, if you're an individual facing it, it's kind of hard to be told, well, you could have it worse by somebody else when you know what you're facing. Because when the Irish first become to, began to come to this country in numbers, you realize, don't you, that they worked the, 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 the major public works because the slave master class, particularly in the, in the South, considered slaves are worth $1,000 to $1,500. Irish people are worth nothing. If they die, who cares? Just get another one. See, it's, history is more complicated than we'd like to make it. People like to make it really simple, really cut and dry. And look, I, I didn't come here to give you a history lesson, but let me just add one more thing. I mean, you know, if you, if you ask the average person about William Tecumseh Sherman versus, say, Stonewall Jackson, they would say William Tecumseh Sherman was a hero who brought about the, 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 the union, union's victory or helped bring it about. And, and, and Stonewall Jackson was a, a, a slave owner who fought on the side of the Confederacy. Okay. But the, what people don't know is William Tecumseh Sherman hated black people. Had no use for them. Wouldn't have fought to see that black people were freed. Wasn't his interest at all. He was interested in maintaining the union. That's it. That's all. And he could care less if black people remained in slavery. In fact, he had a certain very harsh antipathy toward them. And believe it or not, Tecumseh Sherman was the guy who came up with the idea of 40 acres and a mule. But it wasn't to help slaves. It was to try to punish the South. He was trying to hurt those who he thought were fighting him, not trying to help slavery. He didn't care about black people. Stonewall Jackson, on the other hand, fought for the Confederacy. Stonewall Jackson, many, many times, broke Virginia law to teach slaves how to read, how to write, taught them the Bible, while fighting in the Civil War, sent money back to take care of them because he knew the day would come when they would be free. And he wanted them to be able to read and to write. And we wanted them, most of all, to know God. Now, you know, it's easy to say, oh, yeah, Tecumseh Sherman, good, great man. Stonewall Jackson, bad, tear his statue down. But when you begin to look at them as human beings, you realize it's not that simple. Can I, you, all, you all forgive me. Is, that, is this all right? Is yeah. what I'm talking about? Yeah. But look. My ancestors obviously came from the African continent somewhere, and I'm told some of my genetic background is from uh, 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 Ghana and, and the Ivory Coast. Uh, would I have been better off out of 54 countries in Africa, 50 have an average income that's beneath the poverty line? Uh, in terms of governmental stability in Africa, um, uh, the, the, the uh, Global Economics Association rates countries from a 2.5 plus for stability to minus 2.5 uh, for instability and, and danger. In other words, places that are unsafe to live. There's not a single African country that rates a 2.5, not one. Not one. And by the way, not only that, but of the 53 they rated because the 54th wouldn't give any information so that they could make a judgment, or the 53 they rated, only Eight had a positive rating. 
That means the rest of them, people live there in abject instability, unsafety, lack of safety, not knowing what's going to happen the next day, governments changing, who knows when or where or how, but always by violence. So I'll tell you, I make it a point to say, that's why I tell people, yeah, my ancestors came from Africa, but I am not an African-American. I am an American. God appointed me here, and I am an American. So we've got to treasure the gift that God has given us. You know, we ought to listen to the people who've just come to this country recently from totalitarian countries, from dictatorships, from communist countries. I, on my radio program, I get calls from those people. Please hear me well when I say this, because I don't see this with Americans for the most part. They weep. They weep. They say, I escaped this. What are you Americans doing? I, I, this is what I, I fought to get away from. A teacher in California, Democrat, said, I, I couldn't believe what I was reading in the curriculum. She, because she grew up in the Soviet Union. Say, it sounded just like Soviet Union propaganda. We ought to listen to those folks. Because they have something to tell us. Because they are alarmed. And most Americans are not. And we should be. We should be alarmed with the direction things are going in our country. The progressives. They, they, they ought to call themselves the regressives. Because they're not trying to progress anything. They're trying to return us to a state of tribalism. You know, neighbor against neighbor based on the color of your skin. Can you imagine in Virginia, in, in, in Fairfax County, the, maybe the wealthiest county in America, certainly one of the five wealthiest, average income close to $150,000 a year per person, that they are instructing their teachers to teach their students to divide themselves into oppressed and oppressor. If you are white, you are an oppressor. If you are some other thing, you are, uh, I hate this phrase, Pete, if you are a person of color, I say I hate it because I've never met anybody without color, have you? <laughs> it's just another dumb thing you hear. Everybody's got color. But, but if you are a person of color, then, then you are the oppressed. And, and look at this. If you are a man... You are an oppressor. If you're a woman, you're the oppressed. Oh, and you'll love this one. If you are a Christian, you are an oppressor. But if you're some other religion or you're an atheist, then you're the oppressor. They're teaching the teachers to tell this to our children. I mean, this is insane. And then want to try to divide us along racial lines, particularly among Christians, so that we won't work together and we won't, won't deal with what we are facing because I don't care what the color of your skin is, this stuff is coming after Christianity. Yes. And if, if see, what, what I try to tell audiences everywhere, your identity is not in your ethnicity. Your identity is not in your ancestral background. I'm not saying those things can't be important and they can't be instructive and you can't learn from them. Of course you can. But your identity has got to be in Christ Jesus. Because if you know the Savior that I know, then you know he doesn't care about the color of anybody's skin. There's no white heaven, black heaven, Hispanic heaven, Asian heaven. No, 
we are, there, there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God who is in all and over all and through all. And listen, I don't care what the color of your skin is or where your ancestors came from. If you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, if you believe that he rose on the third day with all power in his hands, you believe he shed his blood for every wrong thing you ever did and gave you a right to go to heaven, if you believe that he is the savior of the world, the king of kings and the lord of lords, then you are my brother, you are my sister. We are one family in Jesus Christ. For there is none other name given under heaven among men whereby we must be saved but the name of Jesus. Every eye will behold him, every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now look, Jesus criticized the children of Israel. And he said to them in Matthew 23, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How I wanted to gather you together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. And I tell you, sometimes in tears, I hear God saying to our country, America, America, how I want to gather you together under my wings as a hen gathers her chicks and you don't want to do it. But he had a pronouncement for them. He said, your house is left to you desolate. For I say to you, you shall see me no more till you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And my prayer is, oh God, have mercy on our country because there's you and there's me. And all over this country, there are people who are saying, Lord, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We want America to be a country whose God is the Lord. We believe that righteousness exalts a nation and sin is a reproach to it. We believe that when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice, and when the wicked bear rule, the people mourn. We want America to be a sheep nation, not a goat nation. We want America to follow the word of God as its ultimate authority and to recognize that our rights and our freedoms don't come from man. They don't come from God. Government, they come from Almighty God, and no government is going to take it away. Paul said, my heart's desire for Israel is that she might be saved, and our heart's desire for America is that it might be saved. Now, I get criticized, as you can imagine, for this, and people say to me, now, Bishop Jackson, you know, you're getting into politics, and you should stay out of politics. Preachers should stay out of politics. Churches should stay out of politics. Amen. Amen. You know what I tell them? I said, well, go tell that to Moses who went down to Egypt and told, got right into, got right into Pharaoh's politics and said, God said, let my people go. Go tell that to Elijah who got in Ahab and Jezebel's face and told them, you are troubling the land with your idolatry and your wickedness and God is going to judge you for it. And tell that even to Nathan who, though the good friend of David, went to him and told him that story about the little ewe lamb and the rich man who had stolen it from a poor man. And when David heard that, he was outraged, said, that man should die. And he pointed his finger and said, you are the man. Go tell that to John the Baptist, who got in Herod's face and told Herod, you're wrong because you took your brother's wife and you know it's against the law of God. And you know what? Even Jesus had to straighten Pilate out. And Pilate said, don't you know that I have power of life and death over you? Jesus looked at him and said, you have no power over me. Yeah. 
except what's given from above. He said, because I could call 12 legions of angels right now by simply praying to my father. And so it cannot possibly be wrong on a biblical basis for me to stand up and say to the modern Ahab and Jezebel, Joe Biden and, and his wife Jill and, and all of their little cohorts, you are troubling the land with your sin. And God said, let my people go from this sinful mess that you are trying to impose on us. Bible says, you that make mention of the Lord, do not keep silent and give him no rest until he makes Jerusalem a praise of the earth, in the earth. And I say to you Americans, give God no rest until he makes America the praise in the earth that he wants it to be. And, I, and I'll tell you something, I, I'm never going to keep silent. I'm not going to be like Eli. Eli saw his sons doing what was wrong and polluting the temple and wouldn't do anything about it, wouldn't speak up about it, just kind of, well, you know, maybe you shouldn't do that. And they were doing every vile thing imaginable. Just like we got people in our country now, people in our country now who got the nerve to tell us that your kindergarten child, your first grade child needs to be introduced to homosexuality and transgenderism and shown vile things that even some adults don't even need to see. And no, 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 the church should be silent. We won't be silent. We will never be silent. We're going to stand up and step up and speak up. I, I, you know, I've said before, and I'll say it again, and I hope all of you can join in with me. That if I have to be the last one standing up for the word of God is truth, the last one standing up for that flag that I love and this nation that I love, the last one standing up for this constitution, I will do it until I breathe my dying breath. But I'm never backing up. I'm never backing down. I'm never giving in. I'm never giving up. And I'm never shutting up. Praise God. Praise God. And I think of the goodness and greatness of this nation. We just celebrated the 234th anniversary of our Constitution on September 17th. And constitutions in the world change about, on average, every 17 years. Ours at last is almost a quarter of a millennium and still going. There are people who want to destroy it, of course, but we are standing in their way. And we're going to continue to do that. And then we just, we just commemorated 911. You know, you think about the 77 police officers who lost their lives running toward the danger. And you got people around the country saying that we need to get rid of police officers. And the firefighters who sometimes get attacked trying to do their job, 345 firefighters lost their lives running into those buildings trying to save others. And I think about those 40 citizens on Flight 93. They weren't special ops people. They weren't people like me trained in the Marine Corps for combat. They were just ordinary citizens for the most part. But when they confronted those terrorists, they made up their minds that they were not going to destroy our capital. They made up their minds that they would lose their lives on their terms, fighting for freedom, not on these terrorist terms. And they stopped that flight from landing and destroying our capital. And by the way, let me say our capital, our capital, not Nancy Pelosi's capital. So my brothers and sisters, I just want to encourage you, make the most of this gift. Make the most of this gift. 
I see young people in the audience. We've just formed something called Youth Taking a Stand because so many of our young people are surrounded by those who tell them they're stupid for being pro-life and, and they're bigoted for being that, believing that marriage is a union between one man and one woman. And I'm trying to assemble young people who can stand together with one another and encourage one another yeah. to help their, their fellow young people see the light, see the truth. Because I, I really believe that what's happened is Satan has practically created a giant cult within the country. And they, 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 it's irrational. It's crazy. I mean, Harvard University has declared that you must stop referring to pregnant women as pregnant women and you must refer to them as birthing persons. Because everybody knows that women aren't the only ones who can have babies. Really? I've never given Harvard a dime, and I wouldn't as long as they're that stupid. Harvard, John Harvard, is, is, his statue is in Cambridge Square, which is right outside the Harvard campus. And I've often said, if he knew what was going on in the university he created to train ministers, Harvard was created to train ministers to take the gospel of Jesus Christ across the frontier. I said, he'd get up and walk away. Because it's, it, is a, it is a blasphemy against everything that university was created for. Yale was created for the same reason. Princeton was created for the same reason. And they have polluted and denigrated these great institutions. And it's time we took them back for the gospel of Jesus Christ and the word of God. Say, well, I don't know how you're going to do that. Well, you know what? For one thing, stop giving them federal funding. I, listen, I, you don't need my tax dollars to teach our children to hate our country. And if that's what you're going to do, you shouldn't get a dime of tax money. You can do that on your own dime, but you're not going to do it on ours. Our children need to be taught that America is the greatest cause for human freedom in the earth and that they can be proud to be Americans. They don't have to apologize to be Americans or be embarrassed to be Americans. Glory to God. So, yes, we need to treasure the gift and, 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 and protect the gift because what's happened is the truth is on the scaffold and wrong is on the throne. So the, all the institutions of cultural influence have now gone completely crazy, including the corporate world. Inclu to, to tell people in a company, have a, we're going to have a seminar, and we're going to teach you how to diminish your whiteness. What? Now, now, now notice something. What if they said we're going to have a seminar, we're going to teach you how to diminish your blackness? Oh, my goodness. Oh, that would be, but it's racism. Because, you know, this, this, this idiot General Milley, who, General Mark Milley, chairman of, the, uh, chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, being examined by Congress, and he said, I, I, I read Karl Marx, I read, I read uh, Vladimir Lenin, it doesn't make me a communist. He said, I... I, I, I want to I understand white rage, and I'm white. That's what we've got in charge of our military. No wonder we have the debacle in Afghanistan. You know, they stood the military down for a full day to teach them this political correct wokeness nonsense. Our military was created to fight our battles and protect our freedom, not to have a whole bunch of stuff shoved at them that divides them rather than unites them. When I was in the Marine Corps, my drill instructor said, we got one color in my Marine Corps and it's green. 
It's this uniform you wear. That's it. We're all fighting together. And when we're out there dodging bullets, there is no skin color. I joined the Marine Corps in August of 1970, took an oath to the Constitution of the United States that I would preserve, protect, and defend it against all enemies, foreign and domestic, and bear true faith and allegiance to the same. That oath never had an expiration date. And I'm more committed and determined to do it today. In fact, on our website for standamerica.us, we have a, a citizen's pledge to the Constitution because we really believe every citizen, you know, the people who come here and become naturalized have to pledge to the Constitution. But if you're born here, you don't. And we shouldn't require that necessarily, but I think every, every, every American feels that in our hearts. So we got a lot of people in our country who live here, but they really aren't Americans. They're not Americans in their heart. I mean, Ilhan Omar? Yeah, I mean, she's not an American in her heart. I mean, she's legally an American, I know that. But you know, this is just, forgive me, this is just Bishop Jackson's proposal. I think that naturalized citizens ought to be on probation for a while so people like her could be kicked out and say, well, you know what? You failed the citizen's test. Head, head on out. Because when you tell us somehow you left, we rescued you from Somalia where you and your family's lives were at risk and you've come here and you've become a powerful, influential person and you're going to complain about how bad America is, then I don't mind saying it. Nobody can call me a racist saying it. Go back to where you came from. And, and, and maybe you'll get the comparison straight. Yeah, yeah. Hallelujah. <laughs> it is time to stop thinking of ourselves as hyphenated Americans. Yeah. Right. We've got to think of ourselves not as German slash Americans or Irish slash Americans or Italian slash Americans or Asian slash Americans or African slash Americans, but Americans. Yeah. We've got to bring the country together. Jesus said a house divided against itself cannot stand. Right? It cannot stand. The preamble to the United States Constitution says, we the people of the United States in order to form a more perfect union. And there are people trying to destroy the union, not perfect it. And so we as Americans have got to come together. We as Christians particularly have got to come together and rise up together and say, no, we will not have it. And you know, all the billionaires in the world can't stop us when we, the people of God, get together and make up our minds to stand together on the word of God, to be in prayer and faith and engagement and action. That's why people say, how can you be optimistic? Because I know the God I serve. And if we will put our faith in him, he said, ask and it shall be given. I've asked him, Lord, give us America as a godly nation. And he said, ask and it shall be given. He says, seek and you shall find. I'm seeking America to be a nation that pleases God. I'm seeking America to be a nation that says, we don't slaughter our unborn babies on the altar of abortion and Planned Parenthood. I'm looking for America to be a nation that says we honor God as the author and finisher of our faith and the giver of our rights. Lord, give us that America. And I don't believe God is saying no. I believe God is saying yes, yes, yes. Hallelujah. So don't be afraid. The Lord is our light and our salvation. Whom shall we fear? The Lord is the strength of our lives. Of whom shall we be afraid? When the wicked, even our enemies, came to eat up our flesh, they stumbled and fell. Yes. Though an army should encamp against us, our hearts will not fear. Amen. Though war may rise against us, in this will we be confident. 
One thing if we desire of the Lord, that will we seek after, that we may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of our lives to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble, he will hide us in his pavilion, in the secret place of his tabernacle. He will hide us. He will set us up upon a rock. He will lift up us, us up above our enemies round about us. Therefore, we offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing. Yes, I will sing praises unto the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Have mercy upon me and help me. For when you said, seek my face, my heart said, Lord, your face will I seek. David said, wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. He will strengthen your heart. I believe to see the goodness of the Lord, not just when we get to heaven, not just in the sweet by and by, but in the rotten here and now. My God is in the blessing business. Our God is moving right now. Hallelujah. Listen, for whom he, for, 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 oh my God, my God, my God. We know that all things work together for good. For those who love the Lord and all the called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. And those whom he predestined, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us. Who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, hallelujah, but delivered him up for us all, will freely give us all things, hallelujah. So don't ever say or let anybody else say, oh, it's too late. America's been judged. It's over. That's a lie. Have you not known? Have you not heard that the Lord, the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not faint? Neither is weary. There is no searching of his understanding. He gives power to the faint. And to those that have no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary. Young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait, hallelujah, shall renew their strength. We will mount up with wings as eagles. We will run and not be weary. We shall walk and not faint. We're not going to quit. We're not going to give up. We're going to win because the Bible gives us the victory. Glory to God.